Thank you so much. What a great, great morning of worship. And we're so thankful for our team leading us in worship today. Didn't they do a wonderful job? Amen. Praise the Lord. That's right. Great. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn now to uh, Romans chapter 12. What a wonderful morning, isn't it? They celebrate with Lucas and his baptism, uh, celebrate our seniors and their graduation. Right after their graduation, they were raptured out, you can see over here, <laughs> caught up. <laughs> and most of all, what a day to celebrate our God in worship, amen. Wonderful passage that we have, and grateful for Caitlin reading this for us, Romans chapter 12. But as you turn there, and many of you have this passage that was read marked in your Bibles, and rightly so, but also think that when we have such a wonderful morning of worship as we have thus far, we read a passage of scripture like this that is so dear to many of us that we also have to be very careful that our worship isn't wonder-filled. We can say it's wonderful, but we never want to lose, lose the wonder of it all. It needs to be wonder-filled. When our worship loses its Wonder, that can be very dangerous. It can be very dangerous. And sometimes it's most dangerous when we come to a passage that some of us have heard before we can even remember almost anything else. We've heard it in church. And I was thinking about that this week, about our time of worship here, and the danger that can happen. And that is when we start to come to a passage and maybe even come to our time of worship and it becomes what we call in reality a cliche. Cliche. What's a, cl a cliche? Well, I'll give you a couple definitions. Oxford Dictionary says this, a cliche is a phrase or opinion that is overused and betrays a lack of original thought. But then, there's another one I think maybe even more powerful for us today. It's Webster's definition. A cliche is something that has become overly familiar or commonplace. Cliche is something when it's become overly familiar to us or just in our valuing commonplace. And so you can see when our worship loses its wonder, our worship can become dangerous. And when your worship becomes dangerous, that's a bad spot. This week I was reading and a psalm really struck me as I thought about worship, even as I was looking at this passage I've had it memorized for decades, as many of you. I've brought messages on this passage dozens of times over the years. 
But worship is the key. Psalm 115, I read this, and if you have your Bibles, I might encourage you just to turn there. Look at your device, it's on the screen as well. But Psalm 115 says this. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but they do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Now notice verse 8. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Those who make idols become like their idols. What you trust in is what you become. And so in reality, we can say this, we become like what we worship or whom we worship. That is an axiom. That's an absolute truth. We become like what we worship or whom we worship. Now that word worship is a very interesting word. You know what the word in the New Testament most generally used for worship means? It means literally to kiss toward. To kiss toward. Now what's that have to do with worship? To kiss toward. What well, goes back to ancient times in the Middle East where if a king was approaching or a queen or someone with great authority, the people would kneel toward them or bend toward them and then take the ring of authority and kiss it. So it was to bend toward and kiss the ring was the original idea. So the word worship has in it this. It has the idea of adoration with allegiance. Adoration with allegiance. That's what worship means. And so you can understand now as we go back to Romans chapter 12. While, why Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 stands right here in Paul's writing of this great letter. He's, of course, put it here intentionally. It's placed here by the Holy Spirit because it is about our worship, our adoration, and our allegiance to God. And it stands here at the intersection, <laughs> the intersection of adoration and allegiance. The, these two verses, you'll see, you see the word therefore. I am 
appealing to you, therefore, of course, as you've heard, the old cliche, what's the old cliche? If you see therefore in the, ba- in the Bible, remember what? What's it there for? Well, it's here because of everything that goes before. He's connecting adoration, the mercies of God. How did he end chapter 11? He ended chapter 11 in worship. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, on the basis of everything I've just shared with you. And he's talking about in our Bibles, chapters 1 through 11. On the basis of that, I want you to live lives of allegiance. In worshipful allegiance. And that's what chapters 12 to 16 is. It's allegiance. Chapters 1 to 11, adoration for this God of the gospel. The saving grace of God in Christ for lost sinners like you and me. And gripped by that, we worship God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit who has saved us and brought us into his forever family. And overwhelmed by that truth in worship, we pledge our allegiance to the Lamb of God. We pledge our allegiance in our lives. And we're told in chapters 12 to 16 what that looks like. And so, for the next several weeks, beginning this morning and until the last Sunday in July... We're going to be covering Romans chapter 12 through 16. And we're going to be focusing on this truth which drives everything. It's this truth. Theology fuels our worship. That's chapters 1 through 11. The knowledge of God fuels our worship. And worship fuels our living. Theology fuels our worship. Your theology should lead you to doxology or you really don't have good theology. (laughs) Because theology should never give you a big head. It should give you a bursting heart over a big God. So that's what we're going to be looking at. How theology fuels our worship and our worship fuels our living. So today, we're going to begin this section in chapters 12 through 16. And today, I want to speak to you about this topic, worship as life. Worship as life. Worship-fueled living. That's what Paul is talking about in verses 1 and 2. Worship-fueled living. And just in case you doze off, I'll give you my three points, all right? (laughs) Number one, we're going to look at worship, a worship-fueled presentation. And then we're going to consider a worship-fueled transformation. And finally, a worship-fueled 
revelation, right? So let's begin. Paul gives us a challenge about a worship fueled. It's fueled by worship, what he's just said. There should be a worship fueled presentation of our lives. Verse 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now we could summarize everything Paul says here with this plea. Give yourselves to God. (laughs) Give yourselves to God. And he tells us how we should give ourselves to God on the basis of these mercies of God to us. How should we give ourselves to God? We should give ourselves to God devotedly. Why do we give ourselves to God? Because of his mercies. Because of what he's done for us. Not because we have to give ourselves to God or we're expected to give ourselves to God, but we can give ourselves to God who gave himself for us. I love the quote. From the greatest athlete in all the Western world in the last part of the 19th century. His name was C.T. Studd, incredible athlete from England. He came to know the Lord and surrendered his life to serve on mission. He was one of the richest young men in Great Britain, and he gave away all of his inheritance for the cause of Christ. People said, what a sacrifice this young man is making. And here's what C.T. Studd said. This rich athlete, he said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice could be too great for me to make for him. If Jesus Christ be God and gave himself for me, died for me, no sacrifice could be too great for me to make for him. No sacrifice. What does he say is no sacrifice? What is it that C.T. Studd says is no sacrifice? He says, this is no sacrifice to give myself to Christ. He heard Paul's admonition, give yourself to Christ, give yourself to God devotedly because of what he's done for you. Give yourselves to God dedicatedly, with dedication. Look at verse 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service. Now, strange words there for the first century, strange words for us today. How should we give ourselves to the Lord? As living sacrifices, give your bodies as living sacrifices. In the first century, to most of Paul's audience, that would have just seemed dumb. Why? Because to the Greeks... Your body meant nothing. All that mattered was the spirit. 
The body was just a vehicle for your spirit. Do whatever you want with the body. It has no meaning whatsoever. Give your body to a God that was moronic to the Greek way of thinking. And to say to Jewish people, give your bodies as a living sacrifice. The only kind of sacrifices they knew anything about were dead sacrifices. All the millions of lambs and bulls and goats, pigeons that had been sacrificed to God over the centuries. All those sacrifices were dead sacrifices. Made no sense to the Greeks. Made no sense to the Jewish people. But for a Christian, for a person who knows the love of God in Christ, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Body and soul and spirit, we belong to God. God did not just save your soul. He saved you. We are bought with a price. And therefore, with our bodies and our spirits, we belong to God and we're to honor Him who is not only our Creator, He is our Redeemer. We're His by creation and we're His by recreation in the new birth. We're doubly His. How can we say, my life? I do what I want with my life. <laughs> can we think about the mercy of Christ? Can we think about Christ on the cross and talk about our life to do what we want? Listen, God wholly deserves our lives. And God deserves our lives to be holy. God wholly deserves our lives because he paid for us with the blood of his own son. And he deserves our lives to be holy what is holy? To be set apart. To be His. To belong to Him. Why? Because of the mercies of God. Because of the mercies of God, this is the righteous thing to do. Present your body as a living sacrifice to God. It's the righteous thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Guess what? It's the only rational thing to do. <laughs> This is your, what does he say? Your spiritual worship, as the English standard translates it. Other translations as well. King James and others translate it, which is your reasonable service. How do we get those two translations? Well, the word here for spiritual, as it's translated, or reasonable, is the Greek word logicane, logicane. We get our word logical from that, and that's what it means. Logical, logicane. But the word, notice in your Bible, for worship or service is the word latreon, latreon. And it always means a specific kind of service. It means the kind of service that a priest does for his God or her God. It's spiritual service. It's service to the Lord. 
So what is Paul saying? He's saying present your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your logicane latreon. It is your reasonable act of worship service to the Lord. My friends, listen. When we get our minds right, we don't come to a worship service. We are a worship service. Man, that'll rock things, won't it? That'll turn things upside down in your life. No, really, it'll turn your life right side up. When you recognize you don't go to worship, you are a worshiper. You don't go to service, a worship service. You are a worshiper who is serving wherever you are. Whether you're in a building with other believers or whether you're on the job or you're on the playing field or in your classroom, you are serving God. Amen. Wow. So we need to give ourselves to God. That's what Paul says. Do this devotedly. Do it determinedly. And he says you've got to do this decisively. You've got to do it decisively. See that word present? He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by these mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That word present there is aorist tense, which it means a definite decision and an action. A decision that produces a definite action. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying, brothers and sisters, make this worship fueled decision and act on it present yourselves to God as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to him think about what he's saying as a Christian you are the priest you're presenting as a Christian you are the sacrifice as a Christian you are the worship service it's all in your life, everything is holy. There's no longer secular and sacred. Your life is sacred. What a transforming thought. But today the question is, will you? Will you, based on the mercies of God, make a deliberate determined decision and you will act upon it to present your body as a living sacrifice holy and well pleasing to God it's a decision you say well I think about it I'll think about it that's a decision you say well I haven't made a decision that is a decision You say, well, I'll consider, I'll consider Paul's words. These aren't just Paul's words. These are God's words. Amen. What will we do with them? What will we do with them? What, what would cause us, what, what would cause us to make such a decision? The mercies of God. Amen. You've been saved if you're a Christian. You're on your way to hell. Now you're on your way to heaven. 
You're a child of darkness. Now you're a child of light. You're without hope. Now you have steadfast hope. What more motivation could a person want? The question is, will we? See, folks, hear this as a, as a burden. That, that sounds like such a burden. No, it's not a burden. It's a blessing. Why? Because a worship-fueled presentation produces a worship-fueled transformation. You see, when you make that decision and that determination to respond to God... Something happens in you. There's a worship-fueled transformation. Here's what happens. Paul continues the challenge. Do not be conformed to the world. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, Paul here is positively negative. (laughs) Positively negative. He's very positive. He says, I'm going to give you an opportunity for wisdom to be transformed. It's going to be very positive. But he says, you also need to understand the negative. The warning. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed. That's the warning. That's the negative. But here's the positive. Be transformed. Now, let's listen to Paul's warning first. He gives a warning, then he gives a word of wisdom. What's the warning? It's a warning about a conformed life. A warning about a conformed life. Literally, it says this, verse 2. Stop being conformed to this world. That's literal. Stop being conformed to this world world. Stop letting the world press you into its mold. The word conformed here comes from the word schema. We get our word schematic from it. That schema means the outward form or like a mold. Stop letting the world system, the world's values Press you into its schematic, into its mold. Now, what does this require? If you're going to stop something, it requires active resistance, right? Active resistance, not neutrality. Neutrality is a dangerous thing. Especially in the kind of contest we're in. I found out years ago in high school, dangerous thing to stand around on a football field. (laughs) As we'd say, you get your clock cleaned, okay? Your bell rung by being neutral. You have to actively resist. I remember years ago when I was in seminary, One of the first jobs I had was working in shoe department at a large uh, store in the mall. And so I was selling shoes, and the manager of the department, his name was, I remember, was Joe Guzik, and he was from Brooklyn. 
And no matter who walked into our department, here's what Joe Guzik would say. Something in a casual you were looking for. <laughs> Something in a casual you were looking for. I mean, they're over there looking at leather boots. Something in a casual you were looking for. And I would hear this dozens of times, shift after shift. In night, I would hear something in a casual <laughs> you're looking for. And I'd go home and try to tease Susan. I'd say, something in a casual you're looking for. She'll just say, I'll slap you right now. Lay hands on you. Not in a New Testament way either. So I remember that about that shoe department. But I also remember something else. The escalator came right down at the start of the shoe department. And one time a little boy was there and he said, Look, Mama, there's the sterilator. <laughs> Mama, there's the sterilator. And you know, sometimes kids would try to go up the down stairlater. Up the down stairlater. I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. In this world, we are always going up the down stairlater. The world system's stairlater is going down. And most people are on that stair later. If you are a believer, you're going up the down stair later. And that requires active resistance to go against the grain, to be willing to work against that natural pull. Now, it's not natural. What's the most natural thing in the world? Stand there on the stair later. <laughs> Take it easy. Let's don't get fanatical about this. <laughs> Down the stair later we go. It's not natural, so how do we do it? We do it by the supernatural. You, you, you say, well, Sam, you mean by supernatural new strength? No, no, really, supernatural renewed thinking. You have to understand which direction the sterilator's going. And you have to understand which direction you're called to go. And which direction is the right direction. Renewed thinking. We get wisdom about a transformed life. He warns, don't be conformed. Don't be pressed into the world's mode. Don't go, don't go along. Just go along. That's going down the sterilator. But be renewed in your mind. Have a new wisdom about what it means to be transformed. Not conformed, but transformed. Look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. He uses a play on words. Be transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewal of your mind. Mind renewal. 
Literally, he says this. Stop being conformed to this world. Stop allowing the world to press you into its schema, its form. But be being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now the word transformed here is the word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. You see the word schema means outward form. Morphe means your inward form. Metamorphosis means your inward nature becomes dominant. Your inward nature, the real you, is what is on display. This is the same word that was used for Jesus. You remember? He went up to the top of the high mountain with Peter, James, and John. And there he was transfigured before them. The word transfigured is the same word here. Metamorphosis. The inward nature of Jesus as the divine Son of God, His true nature, shine through His schema, His bodily form. And they saw the glory of who He really was shining through His human body. Same word here. That by God's renewing of our mind, our mind is so renewed that our new person, who we really are in Christ, is becoming dominant and shining forth in our lives. And we're not being conformed to the world. We're being transformed. That's what the Lord is promising here. So the question is, well, how does that happen? How does... How does that happen? By the renewing of your mind. You see, everything about life is in how you think. It's in your mind. You may not be what you think you are, but what you think you are. As a man thinks in his heart, what? So is he. That's what he is. Our actions follow our thoughts, our values, our decisions. Mind renewal is how we are changed, transformed. This renewing of our mind. Well, how do I renew my mind? What do I need to learn? This is what we, as Christians, here's where so many Christians go off and miss it. So if you've been drifting, thinking about the steakhouse, don't worry. Methodists will leave you something, okay? <laughs> Wherever you're going. Don't miss this. Because here's what some people, Christians think. That's right. I've got to have a renewed mind. So I need information. I need information. And if I just get information, that'll do it. Mind renewal is not just about information. It includes information. 
But mind renewal is not just about information. It's about, listen, transformation. Transformation. Not just knowledge, but transforming your life. This is the kind of mind renewal that doesn't just come from the words of God's truth. Listen carefully what I'm about to say. Don't misunderstand me. Some people think, I've got to change my mind. I've got to do better. I've got to start reading this Bible. And if I start reading this Bible, I'm going to be a better person. And I can get over some of this if I just read this Bible because the Bible is true. It's truth. And that is correct to a point. But here's where people miss it. Listen to me. I'm begging you. Do not fall prey to the idea if you just get enough Christian information in your head, it will change the way you live. It's not information. It's not just the words of God's truth. Listen carefully. It's from the worship of the God of truth. It's not just knowing the Word of God. It's knowing the God of the Word. It's not just knowing His book. We don't worship the Bible. The Bible is true, inspired, infallible. But we do not worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. And this book was written so you could know the author. What good does it do you to know what the Bible says, but you don't know the God of the Bible. That's where transformation happens. It doesn't happen in black ink on a white page. And it doesn't even happen when it's red ink on a white page. It happens when your spirit responds to the Spirit of God who gave this truth, and you are worshiping God. Worshiping the God of truth, his truth begins to change your mind. It happens through worship. This is how we are changed. It's not, did you read your Bible today? Did you worship God today? It's not, did you pray today? Did you worship God in prayer? It's not, did you go to church? Did you worship God when you were in church? You see the difference? If we're not careful, we check off these holy lists. God, prayer, worship, and it becomes for us what we think is going to be an abracadabra. And when it doesn't work, we say the whole thing is phony. It's not. The problem is you're calling it an it. And worship is not about an it. It's about him. Amen. A living God. This is what Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 and 18. Now the, the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there freedom. there's freedom. And he says, we all... 
with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord. We're not like Moses who saw God's glory and we had to wear a veil for a while because the glory faded until it faded. No. He says we're people of the new covenant. We with an unveiled face, we are beholding the glory of the Lord. That's worship. And as we are beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. Guess what that word is? Metamorphosis. Same word. While you are beholding the Lord, you are going through a metamorphosis. What is it? You are being changed more into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about here. You are being changed into the image of Christ as you are worshiping. Friend, listen to me. You can read the Bible. You can read a chapter of the Bible and not be changed. You can say a prayer and not be changed. You can go to church and not be changed. You cannot worship and not be changed. When we open the word and we say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. When we sing, and I'm not just singing about him, I'm singing to him. When I'm praying, I'm praying to the one who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm being transformed. It's a process. And we're it's a process that leads us in that worship-fueled transformation. And then guess what? We have a worship-fueled revelation. We see things differently. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Be being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then by testing, you're going to be able to discern what is the will of God. And here's what you're going to find out about the will of God. It is good, acceptable, and perfect. One of the most beloved passages in the Bible for people is the Lord's Prayer. But I want to tell you, there's a phrase in it that terrifies people. Say, what's, what's the verse in the Lord's, what's, what's in the Lord's Prayer that terrifies people? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth. Earth includes me. Earth includes you. Do we really mean it? Thy will be done. How can we say that? How can that stop terrifying us? How can, how can it stop terrifying us to say, not my will, but thy will be done? You know how that can stop terrifying you? When you get a hold of the first two words Jesus used, our Father. And the word father there is Abba, our daddy in heaven. The one you're talking to is Abba. How could you doubt Abba's love? Who is this God who is our father? Paul says, 2 Corinthians 1, Blessed be the God and even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies. 
What did Paul say? I beg you by the what? Mercies of God. He's the father of all mercies. And with a father who is all merciful, how can we doubt his provision? He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us what? All things. If God was going to hold back anything from you, he would have held back Jesus. And if he didn't hold back Jesus, he's not holding back anything that's for your good. How can we doubt his purpose? For he foreknew us. He predestined us. For what end? To be conformed to the image of his son. He didn't save us to make us miserable. He saved us and he makes us moldable to make us image bearers of his son Jesus. Can we doubt his plans? No. We discover that we worship a God And we worship him with our words and in our walk. And as we worship God in our words and we worship him in our walk of life, we find out that his will is what? Good. That's quality. Acceptable. That means in experience, well-pleasing and perfect. It's complete. God's will is best. Acceptable, well-pleasing. Did you notice that? Paul uses it two times. Verse 1 and verse 2. A life devoted to God. Listen carefully. A life devoted to God will be well-pleasing to God and it will be well-pleasing to you. His will is well-pleasing, acceptable. When you devote your life to Christ... That'll be well-pleasing to God. And you know what you'll find God gives you? A life that is well-pleasing to you. When life is worship, let me tell you something, friends. Life is good. When life is worship, then you can, in good faith, wear that T-shirt. And your sandals. Life is good. Put on your New Testament footwear. Walk for Jesus. And you'll find out. Life is good. Because God is good. Lord. I pray now as we come to these closing moments. And we sing to you. I'm praying right now, Lord, for a moment of presentation. And I'm praying for boys and girls and young people, young adults, adults who've lived decades that we'll recognize The good life is God's life. And may we present ourselves to you. Lord, I pray for people who need to present themselves to you. And faith, they come to you. Lord, draw them to find in Jesus their life. 
I pray for people who need to make the decision to present themselves, identify with you like Lucas did in baptism this morning. May they say, yes, I will take that step. I pray for people who need to stop being alone and individualized and need to connect with this body of believers or another body of believers and be in community. Lord, may that happen. And Lord, I pray your will be done. <laughs> it is good. It is acceptable. It is perfect. We believe this. And all who believe it, in Jesus' name said, Amen. Amen. Amen.